Hi, and welcome to the Resilience Podcast. I'm Brad Hook, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Terry Orbush, also known as the Love Doctor. In this conversation, we'll talk about a study that Dr. Terry has been involved with for 30 years, analyzing what makes relationships actually work. I love these longitudinal studies. We'll also explore some very practical tools and tips for dealing with conflict, or reconnecting and reigniting your passion and for looking out for our kids and their own relationships along the way. It is a privilege to get to connect with someone like Dr. Terry. So I hope you also enjoy the show. Dr. Terry, welcome to the Resilience Podcast. Thank you for having me, Brad. So perhaps a good place to start is, can you share a little bit more about yourself and in particular, your research project that has been following the same couples for over 30 years. Mm-hmm. Over 30 years. Well, first, I'm a psychologist. I'm also a marriage and family therapist and a researcher and a date and relationship coach. So relationships have always been my passion, Brad, both professionally and personally. And in terms of my research project, I have been the director of a great research project. It's funded by the National Institutes of Health in the United States. And I've been following the same 373 couples now for over 34 years. And the project started when the couples first got married. And we, and I say we because it's a huge project, 373 couples, 746 individuals. And we've been following them now to really look at what keeps people together and happy in a relationship and what breaks couples apart. And when couples do get divorced or they end a significant relationship, what are the things that lead to repartnership? And I should say, Brad, that 46% of the couples divorced over time, and that's actually the national average, the divorce rate in the United States. But the really positive thing that I like to talk about is that of those couples who divorced, 71% repartnered into a happy, healthy relationship. And I think that's wonderful. That's a great percentage. I think that tells people that even if you get divorced, repartnering in a happy, healthy relationship is totally possible. That's a story of hope. And (laughs) I think a lot of people, even in my own limited experience, they kind of give up after that divorce and you don't need to. There are many people out there for you. It must have been fascinating watching these relationships evolve and being being part almost part of their journey it is wonderful and you know i watch these couples one of the things that we do besides asking them you know structured questions and open ended questions is we ask them to tell the story of their relationship from when they first met and became a couple into the present. And so I think the most fascinating thing for me has been 
looking and listening to those stories that the couples tell and how do the stories change over time and even more interesting how do the stories predict how happy and healthy their relationships are but it's been wonderful and it's a great research project the couples really share personal things about themselves and their relationships and their partners and so i've i've really enjoyed it as you said mm, wonderful i love longitudinal studies it must be amazing to be part of something like this and seeing that evolution uh seeing all these new little people being brought into the world as well along the way as uh, as part of these these families. I'd love to talk a bit about your books. You've um, you've written a number of self help books on relationships. Um, well, tell us a little bit more about some of your your writing. Thanks. Um, well, I've written three popular books. Mm -hmm. Um, I've written a lot of academic books because I am a researcher and a professor and an academic. But in terms of the popular books, the first book is on the happily married couples over time. And it's called Five Simple Steps to Take Your Marriage from Good to Great. And it's all about what did these happily married couples do to continue to be married and happy in their marriages. So it's not the couples who are married and unhappy, but the couples who are married and happy. What did they do? And how did they take their relationships from good to what I say, great. So that's the first book. The second book is on those people who are no longer with a partner, either divorced or they lost a spouse due to death. And that book is called Finding Love Again, Six Simple Steps to a New and Happy Relationship. And it's all about living with divorce, living with being a widow or widower. And then what did those people do who now are repartnered happily and stable in stable relationships? And then the third book that just came out last year, is called Secrets to Surviving Your Children's Love Relationships. Ooh, and it's all about, I know, mm. because I did, you know, married couples and then repartnering. And now I kept hearing when I was talking to people all over the world is what about me as a parent? How can I help my kids have happy, healthy relationships? So that book is all for parents to help them either model happy, healthy relationships in front of their children and or what are the discussions that they should be having with their children that are important for their children to talk about and discuss so that they can have happy, healthy relationships. Great. And I hope we can maybe dive into some of those tips before we finish off today, because our our audience loves practical tips. Uh, and of course, we will link to the books in the show notes. So if you're interested, please do click on those links and, and get yourself a copy. So the audiences for the books, we, we're looking at uh, couples who are in a relationship, who want to improve, take their relationship from good to great, people who 
for whom a relationship has ended and and parents um mm-hmm. who do you find is most receptive is it because not everyone's into self-development right oh that's such a good question i think um it's the people who are wanting to repartner the people who have had a good relationship or have had a not good relationship and are no longer with that partner and they realize that they want to partner again that relationships are so vital to their health and well-being both psychologically and physically but they don't really know how and so i think that's the audience that's been most receptive how can they let go of the past let go of the emotional baggage connected to a previous relationship find themselves again find that genuine self and then what are the strategies that they need to find a happy healthy relationship so i think that's the audience but it's such a good question brad i had to think about that for a yeah. second because i know there are couples who have been so receptive to my marriage book or my relationship book and now there are so many parents who are receptive to the final or the third book to have their children or what can they share with their children so that they can be in happy healthy relationships so there's never a bad time to <laughs> learn about, uh, you know, how might I take a relationship from good to great? You know, it, no matter where you are on the journey, if you practice some of these simple tips and, and, and tools and strategies, you can not only repair a relationship, but you can actually learn how to, to thrive together. I think that's a good point. And I love that you said simple strategies, Brad, because one of the things that I was most surprised about as I was um, following these couples over time and following the individuals who were repartnering is that it's not these big monumental strategies that led to happy, healthy relationships over time. But it was the simple things, the daily things, the consistent things. For example, I found that affirmation, the degree to which you make your partner feel special, cared for, and valued regularly, almost daily, Brad, was a significant predictor of happiness for people who are in relationships. And it was even more significant for men than it was for women. So I think what that says, and a very simple strategy that I talk about in my books, is that every single day, you want to think about either saying some affirmation, I love you, you're great, you're wonderful, you're my best friend, you're the best partner, or doing an affirmation for your partner like turning on the coffee pot if you think your partner really needs caffeine in the morning or like my husband puts gas in my car Mm -hmm. because he knows I don't isn't that a nice gesture Mm -hmm. um because he knows I don't like to do that that's Mm -hmm. something that I don't like to do so if you can wake up every single day and say or do something that makes your partner feel seen and cared for because we don't like to be taken for granted that will lead to 
a significantly happier and healthier relationship over time. So it's just about those simple things, like you said. And so that's what my books are all about. Simple strategies that are practical and easy to implement in your life. Mm, Yes. When I think about couples that I know who save it all for their anniversary, and that's the day when, or Valentine's Day, suddenly Mm. there's grand gestures of, oh my gosh, I love you so much. And the rest of the year, we go back to these patterns of potential conflict or whatever else it might be, just a a blissful ignorance of each other. I, I, I always wonder about that. It's all about daily actions, you know, micro habits, if you will, that lead you to being building that platform that you need for your relationship. Mm-hmm. And that is so true. And that's what I found in my study with these couples following them over time, that some couples do those grand gestures, but then the partner doesn't feel seen. They don't feel valued or cared for. And they even talk about it being just a gesture that wasn't meaningful. But when I talk to the partners that receive that regular, consistent affirmation, they notice it, they value it, and they're so much happier in their relationship. And actually, Brad, what I also found is that they're actually more likely to give it in kind to their partner as well. So one of the things I talk about in my book is that if you're not feeling valued and seen in your relationship, one of the things that you can do is give your partner affirmation, regular, consistent affirmation, because then your partner is much more likely to give it in kind. It's like the, it's like a a, a practice of gratitude, which we know is so good for ourselves as individuals, but just expressing it, uh, focusing on something good rather than something negative, you know, for instead of, oh, you left the washing on the floor again. Hey, thanks so much for the thing that you did do really well or well done for that little piece of work or for cooking such a delicious meal. Well, that's another thing that I found actually, Brad, that was a significant predictor of those couples who stayed together and were happy is that those couples focused on the positives, the strengths in their relationship rather than the negatives or the costs. And when people focus on the positive, it propels them to move forward. They're much more likely to be motivated to work on their relationships. And when you're focused on the positives, the negatives don't seem as negative or as negative anymore. So that's a strategy that I also talk about in the book. Focus on the strengths, focus on the positives, and the negatives will seem less important and less significant over time. Makes sense. Now, in the book, you mentioned that contrary to popular belief, uh, the biggest really reason relationships don't don't work is not conflict or lack of communication. It's actually frustration. Can you tell us more? Mm-hmm. So frustration is the difference between what you think should 
happen in a relationship or you expect to happen in a relationship and then the reality of what happens in a relationship. So if I expect you to understand me without me even talking and you don't, I become frustrated and disappointed with you and our relationship. And frustration and disappointment actually eat away at happiness. And I can see that with couples over time. So it's so important to have realistic expectations, not only of relationships in general, but of your partner and what you think is an ideal relationship for you. So for example, many of the couples in my study thought that conflict was negative for a relationship. And so when they disagreed with their partner or they had a difference, they thought that their relationship was in trouble and that they might end the relationship. And so they became very frustrated with the relationship. But in actuality, when you look at science and my research, conflict is inevitable in a relationship. There are always going to be these differences. You're not partnered or married to yourself. So there are going to be differences. And in fact, if you were married or partnered to yourself, it would be so boring, right? <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? So, uh, right? Can you imagine? So a realistic expectation for people is that there are going to be differences. There are going to be differences. And it's how you handle those differences or conflict or, or disagreements rather than whether you have them that's predictive of happiness and stability in a relationship over time. So it's really important to have these realistic expectations. So the realities of your relationships meet your expectations. And then you don't get frustrated and disappointed and you keep the happiness in your relationship. So thinking practically, what is the 10 minute rule that partners mm -hmm. need to practice? Mm -hmm. So the 10 minute rule is all about communication. One of the things I found is that when you ask couples whether or not they communicate with their partner, almost everybody says, yes, yes, I communicate with my partner. But what people are typically talking about is what I say is maintaining a relationship. So they're talking about who's going to pick up the kids after school or do the grocery shopping or pay the bills or even call mom, right, to make sure she's okay. Communication is all about sharing your dreams and your goals and your aspirations and your stressors with your partner. So the 10-minute rule is waking up every single day and making sure, and this is a simple strategy like I talked about before, and making sure that you talk to your partner for at least 10 minutes a day, at least, you can talk more, but at least 10 minutes a day about something other than these four topics. Your family or children, who's gonna do what around the house, third work, or fourth, your relationship. So talk about something other than those four topics. Now I have to say, Brad, that about half of the couples that I speak to say, oh, that's going to be really easy. You know, 10 minutes is nothing. 
But about half of the couples say, what are we going to talk about? And there's so many things that you can talk about. You can talk about movies. You can talk about music. You can talk about your stressors. Um, you can even talk about these fun topics. Like if you won the lottery, mm -hmm. where would you travel to and why? You can talk about dead or alive. Who would you invite for dinner? One person. You can talk about if you weren't doing what you were doing now, what would you be doing? Or even in five years, what do you hope to be doing? So there's so many things that couples used to talk about when they were dating. Exactly. And during that 10 minute rule, those 10 minutes you want to be talking about, right? And we did talk about it. We were dating, right? That's that's the things that were exciting and wonderful. Yeah. And we really got to know our partner through those conversations. And that's what we want to do again. No matter where we are in our relationship, one year, 10 year, 50 years together. And do people feel reluctance to get started because it feels a little bit awkward to suddenly reconnect with you as a person. You know, you just became a, a mom and someone who is busy and there in my life. Uh, is, is do, do you find that people really need to commit to it and say, okay, even to the point of being a bit regimented, you, let's not leave it to chance at X time. Let's just sit down and have our chat. Uh, exactly. about about whatever it is about your dreams it may have changed it might not have but it would be good to reconnect it would thing. be wonderful I mean I think a lot of couples put their relationship on the back burner and they say well when the kids are older we'll reconnect when we're feeling more secure or when we're working less we'll reconnect but what happens as I've been following these couples is that when you put your relationship on the back burner and you don't every day or every week or every month take it off of the back burner and get to know one another, as you said, Brad, reconnect, then you don't know one another in one, 10, 50 years. Um, the habit becomes that you talk about all those other things that seem so important, and they are the kids and making money and work. And your parents and your health are all so important, but so is your relationship. So we need to make it a regimented habit, as you said, a structured habit. Every single day, you take the relationship off of the back burner and reconnect. And it must be good for both parties to also reconnect with something more purposeful. You know, where would I like to be? What am I enjoying about my life? rather than just being in the grind. Mm -hmm. Exactly. When your partner is asking you those questions, you get to know yourself yeah. better. And you get to know who you are and whether or not you've changed. And my experience, science, research-wise, Brad, is that most people do change. Yes. So that our aspirations, our goals, our dreams, what we like to do, do change over time because of all the things that are happening with us, work, family, kids, parents, 
exercise, volunteering in our community. There's so many things we're doing that we do evolve and we do change. So having that check-in every single day, we get to know our partner better. But as you said, I totally agree. We get to know ourselves better as well. It's a great opportunity for for, for the relationship as a whole. Mm-hmm. How can couples reignite the passion in their relationship? Well, this is the number one question I get. I'm also called the love doctor. Um, I translate science into the media and into the public. And it, this is the number one question, Brad, because inevitably as relationships develop, progress over time, passion decreases. And it has nothing to do with you, your partner, or your relationship. It is a science-based fact that passion and excitement decline. So there are three strategies that I talk about. And these strategies uh, led to passion and excitement when you first met your partner. So they're the same strategies that you want to do as your relationship progresses over time. The first is that you want to do new and novel activities with your partner. And this can be anything that's new and different that you and your partner have not done together. So it can be a new food, a new class. Um, You can start learning a new language, a new hobby, a new travel spot. Anything new and novel will increase passion and excitement. Second, you want to do something that's mysterious or surprising with your partner. It's that, oh, wow, moment. So you can ask your partner new questions like we talked about in the 10-minute rule. You can play a board game. You can surprise your partner. One of the wives in my study, by the way, Brad, took her partner on a treasure hunt or a scavenger hunt. It was a scavenger hunt all around the city. And her partner didn't know what was happening. And he kept getting these notes. And then they ended up at a hotel afterwards. And it increased the passion and the excitement in their relationship. And she talks about that a lot. And it being really a significant thing that she continues to do with her partner to increase passion and excitement. And the final strategy, which is my favorite, is what I call do an arousal producing activity with your partner or spouse. And it actually has nothing to do with sex, by the way. And so everybody's thinking that I'm going to talk about sex, but it has nothing to do with sex. What I have found myself and my research and other researchers as well, is that if you do an activity that produces adrenaline with your partner, The adrenaline that's produced through this other activity can get transferred to your relationship and your partner. So if you exercise with your partner, you ride a scary roller coaster, you go to a scary movie, or you even go to a comedy club where you have that real big laughter, which produces adrenaline again. The adrenaline that's produced through this other activity gets transferred to your partner and your relationship and increases passion and excitement. Mm -hmm. 
So those are three very simple strategies based on science that anyone can do and any of them separately, independently can produce excitement and passion in your relationship. Excellent. It's so practical. It's be adventurous and do something together Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. makes you feel alive and that's going to ripple across into the relationship. Love it. What about money? Money seems to be, of course, one of the major downfalls in, in, in many relationships. It causes a lot of that frustration that we talked about. Um, how does the topic of money affect couples in your experience? Mm-hmm. Well, when I follow these couples over time, Brett, 75% say that money creates tension and conflict in their relationship. And it's not tension and conflict that occurs, but it's that they can't resolve the conflict and tension well. And that's really the key. Money is going to come up in most relationships. And by the way, it comes up in parent-child relationships and friendships as well. So we're talking about all kinds of relationships. But with my couples, and I call them my couples only because it's been so many years, um, It's all about trying to resolve that conflict. And so I talk about in the first book, Five Simple Steps to Take Your Marriage from Good to Great, is that first, as an individual, you want to think about what what money means to you. And it can mean so many different things. It can mean how well you're doing in your life. So it's ego-oriented. It can mean love. It can mean stability. And we get this meaning of money in childhood, um, through our parents, what we observed, how they spent money. And so it's really important to sit down and figure that out for oneself. After you've done that, you've identified what money means to you, go to your partner, your spouse, and ask them what money means to them, and then share what money means to you in your relationship or, uh, for your partner. So communicate what it means to you, and then your partner communicates that to you. Um, And that's really important. I also talk about having money conversations um, with your partner in the short term and in the long term, but about every few months. Um, That way, Um, We don't have these time periods like when you have to submit, you know, tax forms or when your credit card is is high or when you can't pay the bills where money is talked about in this negative way. So regularly, as we have been talking about, um, structure it into your communication and your time with your partner. And then finally, one of the things I found is that if there's going to be a money purchase, that's a big money purchase, it's so important that both partners are consulted when that product or service or thing is bought. When I follow these couples over time, being consulted and being part of a team for big money purchases was so important to happiness and stability over time. Great points. Absolutely. You mentioned that conflict is inevitable and it can, in fact, be healthy. 
what are some tips for fighting fair in in mm -hmm. a relationship? Mm -hmm. So there are so many tips that I talk about in all three of my books, actually, because as I mentioned, when people in relationships don't resolve conflict and disagreements, well, that relationship has distress and is unhappy, whether it's a parent and child, whether it's a new relationship or whether it's a relationship over time. So the first important thing I think is to recognize that it's so important to try to be calm. And so when you're not calm, we tend to do name calling. We tend to say things we regret and the conflict doesn't go well. So I talk to couples and parents and children all the time to say, it's okay to take a break of seconds or minutes, but not hours, mm -hmm. but tell your partner, you know, this is really upsetting me. I'm going to go down and get a, a glass of water. I'm going to go outside and breathe some fresh air. And I'll be right back to talk to you about that. Because when we're irritated and upset, our brain waves don't problem solve well. So it takes at least 30 minutes, science shows us, for our brain waves to go back to normal. And that's when we can problem solve. So being calm is so important. Second, we want to validate our partner's feelings and emotions. When somebody tells you you can't feel something, that just makes the other person really upset. So you can say to your partner, I understand that you're upset, or I understand that you're angry with me because I was late to the movie or to dinner, and then talk about what happened. But when you validate, that's so important. After that, we always want to use our I statements rather than you statements. So when you say you did this or you did that, again, that makes our partner defensive and upset. But when you say, I was unhappy last night when you didn't talk to my mother, can we talk about that? That then calms our partner down and they're ready to share. They're ready to talk about what happened. And then you always want, want to find a good situation. So when our partner's upset or they're tired or they're hungry or in the bedroom, we don't want to bring up something that annoyed us. So find a, the right situation when somebody isn't exhausted. When we're not in the bedroom at night and somebody's really tired after a long day or they're coming home after a long day. So finding the right situation and time is also so important. So those are some really important tips and strategies, Brad. Yeah, and it's it, it doesn't have to be complicated. You made it really simple. It's a case of find the right time, calm myself, make sure that I'm calm acknowledge their feelings. Uh, hey, I realized that you had a really long day yesterday, but, and you must've been feeling quite fatigued. However, I felt that you didn't express enough interest in what my mother was saying. So suddenly you framed it completely differently to, oh, last night you were rude. Right. That's not exactly. going to go anywhere positive. 
nowhere positive (laughs) at all. I totally agree. And, you know, we've been talking about one side of a disagreement, which is the speaker. But as you were saying that, I began to remember that I didn't say anything about the other side of the disagreement, which is the listener. And it's so important to be a good listener as well. And so, you know, it's okay to paraphrase what your partner just said. Um, You don't want to do what I call yes buts. And we all do this, by the way. (laughs) Yes, but you did that. So that's why I did that. And again, that doesn't lend itself to a productive discussion. So whether you're the speaker, just talked about some simple ways, um, or the listener, it's really important to use I statements, to be a good listener, and to be calm and to pick the right situation. Before we wrap up, uh, because I'd like to ask where our audience can connect with you, uh, including in the show notes, uh, just with regards to your most recent book about children and and their relationships as a parent, any tips? Because many dads, such as myself, I've got a nine-year-old, I can't bear to think about... <laughs> What, what, when she starts developing an interest in in boys and all the rest of it, or girls, whatever it might be, who knows? Mm-hmm. I find it um, still you you feel protective. Now, how mm-hmm. can you still honor that, but um, be much more open and supportive? The first thing, Brad, that's such a good question, by the way. But the first thing I always talk about is that half of the formula is all you. And so what you model in front of your daughter or for anyone listening in front of your kids is half of the important thing. So make sure that when you're with your kids, you're modeling happy, healthy relationship behaviors, not only romantic, healthy behaviors, but when you're out in a restaurant, when you're out shopping, when you're getting a cup of of coffee, talk respectfully to whomever you're talking to. Um, talk about tips, talk, you know, tipping a wait staff, mm-hmm. um, opening up a door, saying hello to somebody on the street, saying thank you to somebody who opened the door for you because your kids are watching you. Yeah. Like hawks. And what you do is even more important than what you say. So that's the first thing that's so very important. The second thing is that what I found between parents and children is trust is so very important. So no matter what the age of your child, even at nine, building trust is so important with your daughter, Brad. And that means having discussions now about what does it mean to trust somebody? What has to happen in a relationship, in a friendship with your friends right now with your daughter for you to trust that person? And when you trust somebody, what do you share with them? Mm-hmm. And what does it mean to break trust? 
And so what I found is that that's the most important first discussion wherever your child is, regardless of their age or gender, to have these kinds of what I call trust chats with your kids. And what that builds is trust with your child or children so that when they do get into a romantic relationship, whether there are challenges, whether there are highs, whether there are questions that they have as they begin to get into these romantic relationships, they will come to you and ask you because you've started to develop that trust. And then second, in these conversations, again, no matter what the age of the child, use television shows, use movies, and talk about the scenes and talk about the themes and the storylines that are happening in those movies and television shows, even Disney films, right? And talk about it in terms of the people or the characters in the shows. Because kids will talk and will share all if you talk about it in terms of those characters rather than themselves. And that's also a start. And if you build it that way, then when they're in relationships or if they're in relationships now, they'll feel more comfortable talking to you about the challenges and the highs and the issues. So don't wait for the first Mm -hmm. relationship to happen before you start trying to build a trusting relationship with open communication. It really starts as if you haven't already start now. That's the key. Now it's never too early. Like Mm. you said, Brad, it's never too early, but also I want to tell parents out there, it's never too late. So even if your child is 30, or older, it's never too late to start building trust and having that communication. Mm -hmm. Something that I did, and maybe it's useful to some parents out there who are extremely patient, is I started uh, playing with my daughter has a number of little soft toys, and they sleep with her. And we have since birth played soft toys instead of bedtime stories. And it's incredible the richness of personality and interaction between these little characters. Uh, and the, it's almost like a, a dojo or a training room for life in terms of, well, if this happens, look how they reacted. And it's a wonderful way to start conversations about values and how people treat each other and practicing so she can take some of these learnings out into the real world. I can't say it's proven N equals too but it's been it really gives us this this very safe trusting place you can return to to play out situations and practice in real time mm-hmm. i love that idea brad what a great idea and in fact i just have to say that my husband did something similar with our kids through puppet shows so using puppets Mm -hmm. Right. Same kind of thing. Um, What are the core values? How are these two puppets uh, resolving conflict, uh, meeting a challenge? All of those values that we want to share and instill in our children. Mm -hmm. So I love that idea, Brad. That's great. Thank you. So where can people find out more about your work? Do you have a website? And uh, mm-hmm. where where can they get your books? 
Mm-hmm. Well, my books are all on Amazon, but you can also go to my website, Dr. Terry, D-R-T-E-R-R-I, thelovedoctor.com. So that's all one word. Dr. Terry, the love doctor.com. And you can find all of my social media uh, platforms, as well as all of my books and how to get them either through me or through Amazon or other bookstores online. Wonderful. Any final thoughts for our viewers out there who I'm sure have immersed themselves in this conversation? I think you know, just to reiterate, it's all about the small, simple things in our relationships. And so we want to remember that it doesn't take hard work to make relationships good, but simple, consistent time and work. And that's a really different philosophy or approach. And then also focus on what's going well in your relationship rather than the negatives. And it will propel and motivate you to move forward in that relationship. What an inspiring message. Thank you so much, Dr. Terry. I'm sure we'll do this again at some point. Uh, And Thank you all for joining the Resilience Podcast. Please do check out the links in the description and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. See you, Dr. Terry. Thanks, Brad.